Well, hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Pastor AJ Venegas. I oversee life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses. And today we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 7, verse 54, all the way through chapter 8, verse 3. And so with that, let's go deeper. Well, welcome to a new series called The Unlikely Hero, talking about Saul's transformation into Paul. Sitting across from me is none other than Pastor Danny Strange. So Pastor Danny, welcome back to the podcast and welcome to this new series. Thanks for inviting me back. It's fantastic to be in the podcast studio with you today. So for those listeners who have been following out there, uh, we announced way back in January that uh, we were going to craft different messages based around this year's theme, which was going to be identity. And so we went through Sacred Selfie. We even talked a little bit about it in Palm Sunday, Easter. And now we're hitting this new series, The Unlikely Hero, uh, talking about Saul's transformation into Paul. And so I'm wondering, just to start off with, could you give us a behind the scenes look of why this series? Why should we focus on Paul now? And how is that going to help uh, move the ball forward in terms of our conversation about identity? Yeah, we, you know, a few months ago, uh, a number of us got together and spent a day in, in prayer, reflection, talking about culture and our church and where God might have us to go in the year to come with our Sunday morning teaching. And actually, Miguel Ramirez, who leads our Three Cross Espanol community, um, was the one who came up with this idea. And he said, you know, I, I feel like we're going to talk a little bit about identity for us. But in the scriptures, we see stories of how people's identity are changed, how someone named Saul outputs as someone named Paul, and he's radically transformed. He goes from someone who's killing Christians to someone who by the end of his life is saying, hey, I'm the worst of all sinners. Uh, and yet he becomes the greatest in our minds of the apostles in a lot of ways. Um, and so how did that transformation happen? How does real life transformation happen? How does somebody go from here to there um, through the work of Jesus and the spirit in their lives. And so um, he put the basic building blocks of the series together. It was fantastic. And we all just said, hey, let's just go after it. So uh, we're going to spend the next six weeks or so talking about how Jesus transformed the Apostle Paul and what that means about how he wants to transform us. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, we're introduced to this man named Saul in the middle of a pretty intense scene. And I think it begins... Probably you could argue at the be at the later part of Acts six, um, but for those of us who are not familiar with this story, uh, could you help us set the stage here? Uh, who is Stephen, and why is he important to know in Saul's story? Uh, what is the Sanhedrin that's mentioned in our main text this week? And uh, you know what's so diabolical that the Sanhedrin is gnashing their teeth at Stephen and wanting to kill him? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the book of Acts, if you read the first chapter, Acts 1-8 is kind of the mission statement of the book of Acts, which Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that kind of sets the frame of, of what this book is all about. And the first uh, seven chapters or eight chapters of the book of Acts is kind of that first wave is the the gospel in Jerusalem. And really, as we read through the first seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts, uh, we start realizing, okay, the, the controlling question for this section is, 
Will Christianity survive as a religion? Is it viable? Uh, will it last when all the religious leaders are trying to squash it out? And so in Acts chapter 7, we kind of see the, the final battle of the first uh, wave in the book of Acts where Stephen, this unlikely hero, is is sitting before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious council, and having def- to defend Christianity to them. And, and we wonder, is his argument going to win? Is he going to win him over? We see some hints at that, uh, like in Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel, who's a, a religious leader of the Jewish people, comes out when some disciples are arrested. He says, listen, if this is from God. It's going to work, right? And so we're wondering, is this going to work? And then Stephen, who is one of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, uh, some rumors start coming around him and he gets drawn in before the Jewish religious council, the Sanhedrin, and has to testify uh, concerning these charges drummed up against him um, and his own faith. And so Stephen gives this really long speech uh, that just walks through the whole Old Testament. It doesn't seem very controversial. It's just how God is amazing and God preserves his people and all these different things. And then Stephen just goes for it. And for him, the moral of the speech is not, so God has always provided and now the Messiah is here. For Stephen, the moral of the speech is, you guys always kill the prophets that God send to us. That's the central lesson of the Old Testament. And you killed Jesus too. And it's almost like he signs his own death warrant. And so we are thinking like, oh no, oh no, this is going to kill everything. And uh, we see that they get so angry. They, they sentence him to death. They bring him outside to stone him to death. Stephen becomes the first martyr in the church. And we see that, then those fateful words. And Saul was also there giving approval to his death. They're putting their garments at the feet of Saul. So we almost see him like this ominous figure with his arms crossed, um, which I love looking at the book of Acts like it's a TV show in three series or three seasons. And this is the end of season one, where if you know what's happening, you're getting a glimpse of Saul, who's about to be the main character of season two, seeing his character arc starting in season one, where at the very end, um, as Stephen is being murdered and the lights go out, Saul is there. And it's like, okay, this guy is going to be important later. And we see that in just a moment. Um, We also see that Stephen's death actually didn't kill Christianity. It actually um, is what caused Christianity to start to move beyond the borders of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria. And so even though the people try to kill the gospel in Jerusalem, they don't and accidentally end up spreading it to the next wave. So season two of Acts, Acts chapter eight through wherever it ends is uh, the central question becomes, will the gospel spread throughout Judea and Samaria, and what's the role of this person, Paul, in the midst of gospel sharing? And so uh, that's where we are at the beginning of Saul, the unlikely hero. He's the villain at the end of Act 1 um, of the book of Acts. I was just going to ask you, can can season one have a post-credit scene where uh, we get to learn more about this villain? Because uh, I think we're introduced to Saul pretty abruptly here, like you're saying. like He's not really mentioned, and then all of a sudden, there he is with his arms crossed and, uh, you know, man, I want to know more about this villain. And so uh, that's where this question is going to go. We're introduced to Saul. And like you said, he's somebody that the men of the Sanhedrin lay their garments down before. And uh, he is approving the killing of Stephen. And then finally, it says that he just goes from house to house, dragging out Christians, (laughs) putting them in prison. And I feel like that's like, man, I can't wait to figure out who this character is going to be. So, um, is there any other evidence or anything we should know before we jump into uh, Saul's journey um, 
from the beginning, from the get-go. I think, I mean, Paul talks a little bit about his own credentials later in his writings, but um, we know that Saul was a Pharisee. That's a, a specific type of Jewish religious authority, and he was a very good one. <laughs> he was very um, concerned with upholding the law. Uh, he was faultless. He uh, kept the law to a T. He even persecuted those who didn't, right? He was one of those people we see in, like you mentioned, going from house to house, trying to stop this sect of Judaism called the way um, and put these Christians to death to say, no, 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 we're going to keep Judaism pure. This weird heretical Christianity thing is not going to be part of us. And so we see him being so zealous as a Jewish religious leader that he's even willing uh, to put to death and put in prison Christian people who he believes are perverting the true faith, uh, the Jewish religion. So what I'm hearing is, is this Saul guy is like deeply religious. And I wonder if there are people out there wondering, like, how do I like equate Saul to, to our life in the 21st century today? Because like the guy holding the arms across his chest and like approving of the persecution of Christians is not religious at all, you know, like (laughs) anti-religious atheistic, like, um, is that kind of the picture that we're supposed to get here uh, as we think about our own context or, you know, what is the picture of this villain today? Yeah, man, there's, you know, there's all different types of religious people in our day and in Jesus day. Um, you know, when, when Jesus calls the disciples, uh, he calls different types of people. And some of those are zealots, right? People who are willing to militaristically take down people uh, in the name of their God. And so there's a whole spectrum of different types of religious folks. Um, we know from this, what's going on with the Sanhedrin, and we know from the story of Jesus himself being put to death is part of the Jewish religion in the first century uh, was keeping it pure by any means necessary, including putting to death blasphemers, right? We learn a lot of that even in the Old Testament about keeping the religion pure by putting to death blasphemers, which is ironically or fittingly what Stephen points out in his speech where he says, you guys are killing the wrong people, right? You're so (laughs) zealous to keep your religion pure. You kill the prophets. Jesus said the same thing, right? Uh, You send one prophet or God sends one prophet. You put him to death. He sends another prophet. You put him to death. Finally, God says, I'll send my own son. Surely they'll listen to him. You put him to death. Um, And so, Jesus doesn't even talk too much about their zealousness. Jesus talks about their misplaced veracity where they're trying to keep something pure by putting to death the truly pure things among them. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where we put that today because it'd be easy to say, oh, yeah, well, Paul was kind of like one of those crazy uh, outsider religious people who's picketing and uh, or the crusades, right? These times in the church history where we're trying to put to death people who don't believe in Christianity. And in a sense, that is kind of where the spectrum of where he lands. Um, and, And yet, I think the biggest thing that the Bible draws out is that where Paul was mistaken was not primarily in his militancy, where he was mistaken is primarily on which side of the fence he was fighting for. Um, and so when he comes to Christianity as a faith, uh, the the most notable thing is not that he stops fighting, although he does stop fighting and he starts uh, fighting with the sword of the spirit, the word of God instead. Um, but the most notable thing is he joins another religion, right? Which at that point was a, a sect of Judaism. Um, so I think it, it is important to kind of put those in order that number one thing, he converts religions from our perspective in a sense. And number two thing is he moves from being a zealot who's fighting with swords to moves to being very zealous 
fighting with the gospel message. And one of the things he discovers is that the way of Jesus is not keeping purity and bringing conversions through force, but it's through the spirit, the word of God, the gospel message that actually transforms hearts. And so, but that is, um, I think that's what we see Paul doing there. I feel like if this was a an actual TV show, we would be uh, really bad spoiler alerts because <laughs> no, we're already hinting at, uh, you know, this guy's going to transform and it's going to be epic. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, we built this entire series around the transformation that Saul experiences into Paul. And so we know that, okay, Paul is going to happen someday. Like he's going to become Paul. And we targeted this message at the same time with our Celebrate New Life Sunday. So we got to see other people share their own transformation story. And, uh, man, we got to hear some amazing stories in that service. And uh, it brought up the skeptic in me. How does seeing lives transform bring up the skeptic? In <laughs> uh, that's you? a great question. I think this podcast has trained me to think skeptical, uh, which uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I appreciate the answers that we get all the time because the more skeptical you get, the more answers uh, you discover, I guess. But um, yeah, I was thinking even last week in the Easter podcast that we recorded, uh, one of the claims that suggested that Christianity is true was pointing to the conversion of Paul. And I've seen other places say like, hey, can something do that? Like transform a guy who's killing Christians and dragging them into prisons to a guy that says like, I am the worst of all sinners. And a lot of, uh, you know, people will point to, man, it's transforming people left and right. And yet I feel like the skeptical question comes out and says, yeah, but isn't that all subjective? Like, doesn't that work for Paul? Doesn't that work for the people that we saw in Celebrate New Life? Doesn't that work for all these people? But like, it doesn't work for me, you know? And so I'm wondering, where does this personal testimony, this personal story of transformation fit in the discussion about searching whether Christianity is true or not? Yeah, that's a fantastic question because every religion in the world, as far as I know, has adherents who have these testimonies of lives transformed by the religion or by what they think is God, right? Uh, we talked last week a little bit about that burning in the bosom concept um, in the Mormon religion, which is not a Christian expression of faith, uh, but the Mormons... Uh, a lot of times they just say, hey, this, this is my testimony. I have this burning in my bosom. I know it's true because I believe it's true on the inside. And we as Christians say, no, it's not true because you don't believe in the real Jesus. This is a false religion, right? So uh, with all of these other false religions, according to Christianity, they also have personal testimonies. And so uh, that's a fantastic question. How, how do you know that you've been truly transformed by God and you're not just making it up? You know, I, I think on one hand, our, our testimony is real. What, what God has done to us is unmistakably real. I think at the, the second hand, the, the reason it's real is because it's true. And in we when we look at people who've had these experiences, I do think we can look skeptically at anybody. Look skeptically at Paul. Look skeptically at your Mormon friend. Look skeptically at your Christian friend. Um, I mean, don't be messed up and rude about it, but you can be a skeptic and be like, okay, what actually transformed them and is it true? And I would say two things. One, I would say you'll never be able to prove if a religion is true merely from personal testimony. And so if every religion in the world has personal testimonies, either they're all true or that can't prove that something's true. 
And I would say that you actually can see through personal testimonies, a glimpse into the, the truthfulness of the religion, right? So I, I think of a, um, of a apostle Paul who had everything to lose by becoming a Christian, right? He was at the top of his game in Judaism and then he converts and he loses everything. He loses his standing. He loses, he didn't get rich. He got killed, right? He, he loses everything. And so you see a guy who loses everything and, and it makes you scratch your head and think, why did he convert? Right. I was thinking about the, there's a conversion story of the, the prophet Muhammad in the uh, Muslim religion um, talks about, he goes and he sees this vision and, uh, he comes back and I don't know the exact case. I haven't read up a ton on it, but what, I, what I've heard about it is he comes back and he tells his wife, I, I saw a demon uh, who told me that I should start a religion. And his wife says, no, that actually was the April angel Gabriel. Um, he's telling the truth. You should start a religion. You're a prophet of God. Uh, and you look at that testimony a little skeptically too. And like Christian would be like, no, I think he actually met a demon, right? We see in Galatians, the idea of a, uh, you know, an angel from heaven preaches a gospel other than what you believed. Don't listen to him, right? Um, this is a use case in the scriptures for what could happen. Um, and so I do think you can look skeptically at testimonies and ask questions like, is this per- person truly transformed? What did they gain from it? What has this done in them? And I can speak in the Christian religion, just folks that I know, um, that have been transformed by Jesus, it's amazing. It's miraculous to see what God has done in their lives. I think of, um, we watched that video from uh, Eric Choi last week who has gone through lots of hard stuff in his life and yet Jesus has been faithful to him. And now he's just a person who has humbly serving God and trusting him in the hardest of circumstances and always finding Jesus faithful. Um, And so it's beautiful. I think, You know, so to answer your question a lot more shortly than what I just did, I would say personal testimonies alone cannot prove whether something is real or not, Um, because there's a lot of reasons, random chance, demons, (laughs) right? Angels, uh, God himself, that people can have testimonies. Um, But I do think, right, by and large, um, our testimony is an important part of who we are, and we can see what God does in our lives through it, especially in the Christian religion where what we get converted into is humility and others service. Um, and we see these stories of people who lose everything to become Christians. It doesn't make sense. I think it's a conversation to hold on to because I know that's going to be a wrestling match with Saul as he turns into Paul is like, is this guy for real? Is this really happening? And so I think, will we get into that in that series? I'm pretty sure we probably touch on it, but, um, yeah, I think there's a sermon on that coming up pretty soon. No, for sure. There's a, you know, Paul himself goes and has to do that hard work. I mean, he, I love it. He's blinded by Jesus. Uh, we'll talk about this next week. But, uh, you know, Jesus says, stop persecuting me. He says, who are you? Right. And so it's like he's totally <laughs> in the dark. Jesus opens his eyes in a sense, but at the same time blinds him, connects him with the community. Paul's really, he has no idea what to do. He goes off into the desert for several years after trying to preach the gospel, trying to figure it out. He comes back with a faith that he holds and other people are scared of him because they know that he's the Christian murderer. And so that's been the big question is this guy says he has a testimony, but is he phony or real? So I think one of the things that we can bring into this idea of people's testimony, like Jesus talks about, is you'll know them by their fruit, right? Is is this just some flash in the pan story of how someone met Jesus and now you should give him money? Or is this like a, an abiding change that you see over their life, the fruit that can only be explained by God's work in them is being produced because something truly real must have happened to them. Um, and that's what we see in Paul. It takes him a long time to win people over, even though he has a message from the scriptures and he has a testimony from his life, 
nobody wants to believe him. And so there's a patience aspect to this thing as well. Yeah, especially from a guy that is described in chapter nine as breathing threats and murder against the disciple of the Lord, disciples of the He's Lord. He's like a dragon. Like a dragon, like a monster. And that's what the language kind of implies there, breathing threats. And I wonder how many people out there uh, maybe have somebody like this in their life. Somebody that is just like, you're doing that Christian stuff. Like maybe in America, it hasn't reached the level of like being dragged out and killed and thrown in prison. And that does exist around the world. But um, yeah, there are many instances where people around us are just um, mocking the Christian faith or hostile against uh, what you do on Sundays or what, whatever it is. Um, and it's one of the situations, if you know, you know, you know, um, what a sentence, if you know, you know, you know, <laughs> but my question nonetheless is what do you say to people who might be struggling with a Saul in their life with somebody who has that hostility toward their Christian expression or their Christian faith? Um, what do you say to people who are going through that right now? Uh, I would say two things. One, God can convert anybody. So that's the primary thing we learn in the Apostle Paul story is that this man who everyone was scared of actually became a legitimate believer. And you know, I, I don't I really think from the story of the Apostle Paul, the story of Saul here, um, we get a glimpse that he had no idea Christianity was true until Jesus opened his eyes. Um, and so this was a miraculous transformation. And that's possible. Maybe the people in your life who are breathing murderous threats against you will experience a, maybe need to experience a miraculous transformation. I found that with people who breathe murderous threats, so to speak, uh, in my life, they're actually a lot closer to the faith um, than ignorant of it. I find a lot of people are, are angry because they've had really bad experiences. They're angry because uh, maybe God is calling them into something and they know it, but they don't want to listen to it. They're angry because they're trying to convince themselves that Christianity is fake, right? So they're, they have this deep turmoil inside of them. So there's a chance that they're just totally ignorant to Christianity like Paul was, Saul was here. Uh, there's also a chance they're wrestling beneath the surface, but they'll never let you know it. Um, there's also a chance that they're always just going to be someone who's hateful towards Christians. And I think one of the lessons that we learn in the New Testament, um, the story is not, hey, God's going to convert all of the haters and eventually Christianity will be, yay, free to roam, right? There's always people trying to stop the church. The story of Acts, is nothing can stop the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, and so the story of Paul is a story of God having him switch sides of the battle. Um, but the story of most of Acts is the gospel prevailing even in the midst of persecution and not everyone gets converted. And so I think there's a chance if there's a person in your life who's like that, there's a chance God's going to uh, use them by transforming them. Uh, that God is working in them and they won't even admit it. There's also a chance God will use them by their persecution. And really your job is to stay humble, to love them, to serve them, to pray for them and to stand up under whatever it is that they bring upon you um, as much as you can. Like we see in the scriptures about suffering and persecution and trust that no matter what happens, it's all part of God's plan to expand his church and his gospel to the ends of the earth. Wrapping up the conversation, bringing it back to identity how are you praying that the transformation that we're about to walk through uh, all the way from Saul to Paul is going to encourage us as a congregation as we think about our own lives, think about our own faith? 
two ways. Uh, first, the story of Paul primarily is a story of trajectory. Uh, we think a lot of Paul starts as this murderous, breathing dragon, Christian hater, um, and thinks that he's the most righteous person in the world. And by the end of his life, uh, he's the one who's put to death for his faith or ready to be put to death for his faith. Um, that we read as the book of Acts closes, we see him going off being really willing to die in Rome. Um, and also, he's someone who believes he's the worst of all sinners, not the most righteous of all people. Uh, and he's also on the other side. He's on the Christian side. So we see this grand trajectory of life. And so the primary thing we're doing as we walk through this series is just kind of talking through life trajectory, right? We're going to talk about being far gone and God saving us. Um, we're going to talk about when God arrests us in our faith and opens our eyes to the truth. We're going to talk about some of these wrestling matches when folks around us don't believe the transformation is real. We're going to talk about hypocrisy, all these things that, that Paul uncovers along the way. We're going to see his eyes change and the people who were uh, around him that God placed in his life to mentor him. We're going to see him becoming ready for death. So we see this overarching story arc of how he goes from Christian hater to chief apostle. Um, and at the same time, I think we're going to see really specific teachings of that we could apply to our lives today. Right? Like this question you just asked about what do you do with the Saul's in your life? Uh, we're going to ask questions, like I mentioned, of what do you do when people don't believe you've changed? What do you what do you do? What do you do when you show up at the church and there's hypocrisy there? What's your job in that moment? So we're going to talk about some very like um, moment in life stuff that can help equip us today for work or for home or whatever. Um, but overall, I really want us to see the trajectory of the work that God is doing in us, the transformative work um, that like the scriptures teach us that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I want us to find our place primarily in that truth. It's amazing. I'm literally looking forward to this series. I know, uh, man, how does a guy end up breathing murderous threats like a dragon to writing a ton of new Testament letters that have lasted to this very day and have inspired scripture. And, you know, it's just so amazing. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, excited for the next conversation. Yeah, me too. Let's keep it going.